everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. On today's episode, we have Sean Glass, the founder and CEO of Avantia Health. Sean is a experienced entrepreneur. He's been involved with startups and um, venture firms for quite some time. He's been a board member on several companies, and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast. Super big fan of, of his current venture, Advantia Health, and everything they're doing in the women's health space. So without further ado, let's bring him on and learn more about Advantia and himself as an entrepreneur. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for joining us on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Really excited to learn more about yourself and Advantia. I, I think it'd be great for the audience if you could start by just giving us a, a quick introduction to, to you, um, kind of how your career started and I guess uh, where you're at today. Sure, yeah, happy to. Um, so for me, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, you know, going back to cutting lawns in middle school and high school and then started my first company when I was an undergrad at Yale. Uh, kind of even before starting the first company, I was starting something else. I started Yale's Entrepreneurial Society because Yale had a great tradition of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, Yale alums had founded FedEx and Palm and Handspring and um, some alums that kind of could lay claim to having founded the venture capital industry. And so I was really interested in that. Um, Yale didn't have a group on campus that supported students who had interest in entrepreneurship and venture capital. So uh, like any entrepreneur, saw a problem, saw a solution, and uh, put it together. And uh, Launched Yale's business plan competition. Ultimately, it still worked with the university on, on some of their innovation initiatives. And then, you know, as I was running around as a student, meeting venture capitalists, other entrepreneurs, everyone kept saying, when are you going to start your first company? And so um, that was my sophomore year. Uh, before the next year, I had founded a company, a financial technology company with uh, two other students that ultimately, we, we picked a terrible time to start a business. It was March of 2000. So it was right before the dot-com bubble burst. And we were three college students starting a financial services technology company. So. Um, the next couple of years ended up being challenging. I remember talking to over 200 angel investors before we scrapped together a seed round, uh, but ultimately made it. And that, that business eventually went public. Um, I had left a little bit before the public offering, but for eight years, built that with my other co-founders, a great ride. From there, um, you know, like, like most entrepreneurs who've been lucky to have a, a little bit of success, I was able to... Um, you know, do quite a bit of early stage investing, um, both, you know, directly kind of on my own account and then um, also having set up ultimately a small fund called Accelerprise that does enterprise software investing. Still continues, but like, um, you know, most entrepreneurs to look at where, where are their opportunities. And I grew up in a medical family. I moved to the United States before the age of five. I was born in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And my father, we moved to the U.S. because my father is a physician. He's an anesthesiologist. He's, he's very interested in research. And, um, you know, like many immigrants felt like the, the U.S. was the land of opportunity. And for him to pursue research, this was the place to be. So we moved to North Carolina. I grew up an avid Duke basketball fan. For um, I'm sure that there are people who will like and dislike that. But um, 
My dad worked at Duke. He helped develop uh, drugs like propofol, the first person to give a drug called remifentanil to humans. Uh, worked on medical device research, a company called Aspect Medical Systems that developed a level of consciousness monitor that's used to help reduce the incidence of clinical awareness during surgery. And so growing up as a kid, I would have these conversations with my dad about his work, you know, get dragged along to, to medical conferences, often in, in fun places, but um, you know, sat in on lectures, kind of really exposed to how uh, medical innovation transformed healthcare. And so there's always been a dialogue between my father and I about what's happening with healthcare, how's the market changing, what's going on in innovation. And so five years ago, he and I were spending a lot of time, he, he at that point was running the entire physician practice group at Stony Brook University in Long Island and their hospital system. And um, so he was exposed to working with physicians across the, um, the spectrum of, of specialties, but also working with the hospital on strategic planning, interacting with payers, um, you know, I was doing this enterprise software investing, and I was also I was running into more and more uh, digital health companies. And he and I came to the same conclusion at the same time. We um, we saw that healthcare was moving to becoming a consumer-driven product. Um, some of that driven by the change to high-deductible plans. Um, so as we as consumers pay for more of our healthcare, we started to treat it started to treat it a little bit differently, um, for better or worse. And then um, technology was driving a decentralization trend and pushing care. It re-empowered uh, individual consumers, uh, whether they were a patient or not, right? So, and then um, it re-empowered providers to be able to do more within the office or directly with their patient without the infrastructure of the hospital. And so, you know, when, when we were talking about it, we felt like when we looked at the healthcare system, uh, what you were seeing was providers getting pushed into hospital systems or providers getting pushed into kind of single specialty aggregations. Uh, the hospitals were trying to hold on to providers to uh, keep patients in bed to make sure their large expensive infrastructure continued to be utilized. Um, and the single, the kind of single specialty aggregations were happening because um, private equity was seeing opportunity for what they call scale correction. So you pull, um, if you have a disaggregated industry, as you pull it together, you can get benefits of economies of scale and purchasing and pricing. Um, but th neither of these trends were in line with the technology trend of more connectivity and um, care being able to be provided in lower cost sites of service outside of the hospital. So we decided to start Advantia based on those trends. Um, and uh, and have gone there from from there to here, um, and happy to talk more about what Advantia does. But that's kind of been my path, right? So from um, you know, being an undergrad with an engineering degree and really interested in entrepreneurship to go being have, being told I needed to walk the walk the talk and actually start something. Um, you know, being an investor in a lot of things and continuing to spot trends, and then deciding that it was worthwhile taking the leap into healthcare because. There's opportunity, uh, financial opportunity to build a great business, but also opportunity to make changes that would have a big impact. Very interesting. Do you, do you feel um, even the part of your background that wasn't in healthcare and the success that you had uh, in that part of your career, do you think that really helped set you up for success with Advantia? You know, having that, um, obviously you had a, 
insider mentality in some regard, especially with your you know, your father's connection to healthcare, but then the also the outsider that is clearly very innovative and is taking these those that same type of approach into healthcare, which is often you know not full of innovation. Do you feel like that really yeah. helped you in yeah. starting the company? Yeah, I think I think sometimes I mean if you're familiar with the idea of the, the curse of knowledge, right? So when we know a lot about something, our our cognitive patterns are, are relatively fixed, right? And so someone asks us a question, we'll answer with that knowledge base, and we often won't say, well, you know, maybe I don't know, maybe it could be done differently, or um, and so coming from the outside, it's actually an interesting way to think about innovation for the healthcare industry generally, which is probably a lot of the times there's opportunity to look outside. How, how do other industries solve this problem? How do other companies approach a problem like this, right? Because maybe it's not the same. And you know, healthcare industry is fabulous at going, but we have HIPAA, but we have dark and anti-kickback. Like we can't do these things, right? And so it's often new ideas within from what i found is you know, in the industry often things are there's like organ rejection for ideas because it's you know we can't like immediately we can't rather than like how could we and and so coming from outside of healthcare i'll give you a specific example for us um early on as we so we we decided we wanted to focus on women's health women are the most important consumer in healthcare uh, by many different measures and it's also a consumer-driven business. Most women will find their, um, whether it's a primary care or OBGYN provider directly. It's, it's not a referral. But when we were starting the business, we, um, because OBGYN is considered a specialty, again and again, I would hear from people that are, you know, I was trying to network with healthcare investors and I would get, what's your referral strategy? Like, where are you going to get referrals for your OB? And I, I, I just kept being like, this doesn't make sense to me, right? Because our data, so I looked at data and that's the first practice that we, uh, we had acquired and were working with. Uh, we were not getting referrals from anywhere. I mean, we would get, maybe it was like five to 10% of customers were from referrals. Some of that was from fertility, and a little bit from primary care. What we then noticed in our data was we were making a lot of referrals to primary care. And so, you know, just looking at the data rather than this like, well, you're not primary care, therefore you must be getting referrals and how are you gonna do that? It was just a different way of looking at it. And so we started to ask the question like, why is this in inverse? Why uh, is it that we see, why do we see the referrals going from our OB to primary care? And so we talked to a bunch of our doctors and we talked to a bunch of our customers. And what we found is that women see their OBGYN practice at the location that they get healthcare from. But if you ask, if you talk to a typical OBGYN, they help babies get born, help you know, healthy babies get born and moms have a healthy pregnancy. And then they fix gynecological problems with minimally invasive surgery. And kind of the annual well woman visit is kind of about prepping for the pregnancy or ensuring there's not a gynecological problem. It is not necessarily a comprehensive health check, the disconnect between what the customer thought they were getting and what the, that particular position was providing, but fairly easy to solve for and start to make that office location provide a more comprehensive service than that the customers need. But 
the inside view from healthcare was just your OBGYN, it's specialty, where do your referrals come from? And by, by just not being in that world, I was able to ask them what I thought were pretty simple questions, but everyone else was like, whoa, that's, that's really innovative. Like, why, why are you, that you've discovered that this, this works in a different way? So um, that's where I see the value of, of, you know, perhaps not having been in healthcare for years and years is that I'm pretty willing to ask, like, why is it done that way? Or is that, you're telling me this is the, what's happening um, because that's what everyone thinks is happening. Like, is that really what's happening? What does the data support? What are our customers telling us? And does it have to be that way? Um, and then, then kind of unspooling the thread and right, um, seeing where it leads. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I always say a, a real common phrase that I hear in healthcare when you're talking to people about doing things differently is you hear a lot of people say, well, this is how we've always done it. Like, why, why would we, why would we change it? You know, re regardless of it being a horrible process, you know, many of these uh, processes that we have to go through within healthcare being horrible, you know, as they are today. But um, yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think there's a really powerful um, mindset you can put yourself in if you want to innovate in healthcare, which is kind of, if we did X, what might happen, right? And so, like, so we didn't found Pathify as a company we now own. We bought it in February. It's a, an app that provides on-demand access to resources for, for women, and particularly breastfeeding, on-demand breastfeeding consulting from certified lactation consultants. And their team, their founder, um, Ben London, who's now a member of our management team, um, and their other founder, George, um, George and Ben have, they, they, they had insights into kind of this first, in the first year of life, because um, George had worked in a Medicaid, a 10 care, uh, Ben had worked at McKinsey, and like kind of, they've been, they were friends from like second grade. It's actually an amazing founding story. Um, but it was like, like the first year of life, there is enormous expenditures on unnecessary emergency room visits, right? And so like a traditional healthcare executive would think about like, how do we head off that visit, right? Like at the time when it's needed, and it might be like a nurse triage line or something, right? What they started to look at is like, what services do new moms need where we could engage them and then start to educate, provide a service that's valuable and in that education, perhaps head off on the ER visit. And so by solving for lactation consulting, right? So making Lactation, uh, a lactation consultant available via video visit on demand 24 hours a day had tremendous impact both on outcomes like breastfeeding success rates. I mean, they, I mean, they, they've now seen, um, you know, just by giving this app, they see a 13% increase in prenatal visits, 32% increase in maternal postpartum visits, 26% decrease in unnecessary emergency room visits, which was like not what people would have thought would have happened. But they, they, they just started with, from a different place, right? It was like, well, what if we did this? Like, what if we solved to make it really easy for new moms to get rescued? Like, what else might happen? Like, could that affect? And so I, I think if there was more thinking like that, um, there would be more innovation in healthcare. I mean, it, it's a little bit of like, you see it outside, which is like, you're going to experiment, right? Startups talk about, rapid iteration and pivoting. And that's not something you see as much in healthcare. Obviously, you can't do it if you're if it's you know affecting your patient's health. 
But in terms of models, I mean, there are places we can experiment and measure and, and improve quickly. Now, I was actually going to um, ask you about that uh, more more into Pacify. What what I mean, you mentioned a little bit, but what was it about that company? I guess um, you know beyond what you just told me, but on a high level, that uh, made you want to make that acquisition. Uh, what you know, what made really good sense? I mean, it it, it made uh, perfect sense when I was reading the articles about it, but I'd love to hear it from you about the kind of the yeah. mentality of making that acquisition. Yeah. So um, when I first brought that to our board, I said this is a mini version of what we want to be when we grow up, which was they they provide a service that transforms care for women and affects outcomes while like while changing the economics, right? And so um, they like Passify is a company for a mom. So what does that mom get? That mom gets access to a service that they might not otherwise have access to. It's much more convenient. It leads to a better chance of a improved outcome for their health and their child's health. And then um, you know, the, the insurer, whether it's a Medicaid plan or a commercial plan or an employer, is seeing a dramatic reduction in cost, right? And so like we, when we look within Advantia, what are we trying to do long-term? We're trying to transform women's health around like annual visits, health and wellness, right? So we would like to use that as a better chance to keep our female customers happy, healthy, and well, right? Um, and then around pregnancy, we want to, again, have a happy, healthy mom and a happy, healthy baby. And we think there's opportunity to dramatically reduce costs in perinatal episodes. And so, you know, Pacify accomplished that around this, this kind of period of time, postpartum for the child and this one like small piece of, of kind of breastfeeding success, right? And it had these other knock-on effects. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we said, gosh, like bringing that thinking plus the technology that they have. I mean, their, their underlying technology platform was pretty interesting to us. Um, but bringing that team and bringing that success into the DNA of Advantia that's going to have a lot of effects other than just like, hey, we've got, you know, oftentimes they go, we're going to buy this thing, it's a good asset. But in our case, it was, it was really, like it was the team and the fact that on a small scale, they had done what we want to be able to do on a big scale over the life of the company. Um, and so that was the rationale. And like immediately, you know, our board, so I think there are a lot of companies that are just buying practices and it's just about scale, getting higher rates from payers, you know, driving down some costs through group purchasing. And, and that model can, you know, work financially, but we really are focused on, on how do we transform the model. We think that will lead to actually better financial returns for the business, but it'll really impact our customers and it'll impact, you know, our, our customers as in a, a woman who's trying to keep herself healthy or have a baby. It'll also dramatically affect our payer customers and, you know, help them, um, help their members with lower costs or improved outcomes. So that's, it all just like added up and then the teams and you got to know one another and there was a good culture fit. And, um, it's worked really, really well so far. Great. One, one of the, the questions I also had for you was, um, what is it like working with, uh, in any capacity, a family member? Uh, I get that question a lot, right? Like, you know, you'll hear sometimes like yeah. people will say, oh, I swear by, you know, 
being involved and working with a, a relative was great, but then you also hear people saying, never do it, right? How, um, I guess, yeah. I, um, you know, not knowing the full involvement, but how, how do you and your, I guess, yeah. father work um, within Advantia? How does that work? Yeah. Yeah, so, so my dad retired from a full-time role at the beginning of, um, of last year. Or guess, okay. Yeah, beginning of last year. So before that, for the first four, five years, um, you know, full-time working together. I mean, my first piece of advice is like know one another, right? So most of the time we know if we can work with a family member or not, like what what that relationship is like outside of a business relationship. And you know, my dad and I have always, we've always had great conversations. We've always been able to consult with one another on, you know, as I was growing up, if I had a problem at school or I had a concern about something, you know, I was always able to go to him. And my dad's someone who is um, consultative. Like, you know, he would ask me questions and reflect on it. It just kind of wouldn't, so we always had a back and forth in our relationship, and we, we got along well. And uh, I mean, he was my he was my first angel investor in my first company. Uh, we did make him a hundred times his money, so that one worked out well. Um, yeah. But but you know, if we lost all of it, he would have been cool too. So he um, has been incredibly supportive. Well, we so part of it is just knowing that. Like, I love my mother. If I'd started this with her, like it would not have worked that well. Like she and I. <laughs> just the way we work out disagreements is very different than my dad and I, and it just wouldn't have worked in a business context, but the first, you know, I knew that with him it would work. We also like, and I would encourage this with any founders, family or not, have honest conversations up front about what you're good at, what you're not good at, how are you going to make decisions, who's going to make which decisions, what are you going to do when you disagree, what, what, what if one of you wants to sell the business and the other doesn't, um, you know, how, how will you approach those tough conversations? It's almost like when you're getting married, you should, you should talk about writing a prenup together. So that, and, and like, if we get divorced, here's how we're going to divide it up. Not because you're ever planning to get divorced, but because when you, you know, are so in love and headed towards your wedding, that's the best possible time to have the conversation about how it would work if it did go wrong, right? Um, and so, you know, doing, we did that, and a big part for us was that he would make medical decisions and I would make business decisions. And, you know, we talked about who should be CEO, and he's like, you should definitely be CEO. That's not my, you know, my thing. Um, and so um, it, it worked great. And there were times, you know, I would push him on things. There were times he would pull me aside and push me, and it, it definitely helped the business be stronger. And, and we were talking about it the other, the other week, and I actually, which was like, Regardless of the outcome for the business, it was a great thing. Like the time we got to spend together in this business context is kind of a special part now of, of our relationship and what we've done together as family members. And so like that that is a there's a there's a return on on time invested there that is is pretty neat. So I guess I would encourage people if, if you have a family member that you have a strong relationship with and you kind of have some stuff, it, it can work great. Like don't get scared off by the nightmare stories of, you know, the family that got into business never talks again. Uh, I think if, you, if you're if you upfront and you really are honest with one another about the good and the bad and what you're gonna do and there's conflict, it'll, it can be really added in. No, that's that's good. Yeah, it's uh, must've been quite the experience though, working together and um, 
and still having him involved in some capacity, right? When, you know, if there's ever any questions yep. that need to be relayed oh. towards him. Now, yeah, now that his, prim his role is primarily on the board, now he's kind of, you know, more my boss. So <laughs> that works too. Very nice. Um, where, um, so you guys are recently, right? Just off a of fresh new round of funding? Yeah, we raised 45 million um, additional capital from a firm called Blue Mountain. Um, Deerfield Management also participated in addition to that 45. Um, uh, Deerfield's been a, a great, uh, solid backer, tons of healthcare experience, um, you know, very patient capital. Blue Mountain, similarly, deep healthcare experience. Very thoughtful. Like, I think where we're lucky is that in both of those investors and, and some of the individual investors we have. We have another small fund called Life Force Capital, which is a, if anyone out there is doing a digital, digital health business um, or an innovative services company, Life Force is a great investor to have involved as well. They're kind of um, not formulaic, which has been, which is really good because, you know, because we're trying to be transformative, not just, not just a roll up, um, there's not a straightforward path, right? The company is going to have good quarters and bad quarters, and we're going to try things that aren't going to work. Um, and it's important to us that we, we're able to do that. And Blue Mountain is really supportive of an understanding that as you try to make a transition to value-based care, as you try to innovate on digital health services and bring them to a large population, we serve about 425,000 women across our, our business today, it's not always going to be perfect. <laughs> and then you're going to work and fix it. Um, and so that's, um, you know, that was really important to us. So, um, yeah, they've been, a, they've been a great partner so far. We're really excited about that and look forward to continuing to grow with them. Yeah, no, congratulations. That's, uh, I, yeah, I remember reading about that. That was huge news. And um, it was really, I mean, was it, I don't know if it was your company, it might have been your company that published it or someone else, but it was that stat that I think, what is it? Seventy-five percent of the like healthcare decisions in a home are made by. Um, it, it was kind of like I think why you were going after this space, right? Like you're able to offer a full suite solution, are made by the the woman in the household. Is that, I don't know if that was you or someone else, but I I really like that type of stat and like what you yeah. guys are doing yeah, in advance. It's a really, it's a really big number. I mean, what, Women play a really important role in healthcare as decision maker. I think our CMO, Dr. Lisa Shad, quoted an article to me at one point that like something like two thirds of Medicare beneficiaries, their decisions are made by their daughter or daughter-in-law. So, I mean, that's not something that we as a company right now are doing anything with, but we realize that that's part of the role our customers are being asked to play. And so, at some point, is there a way we could help them with that? Right? I mean, that. There, if you think about it, like, it's like, okay, you have this person who her spend is very high, right? And she has a lot of needs for her health, her family, her, her direct family, but then now a parent, um, you know, particularly with the baby boomer generation aging, all of a sudden, um, you know, those daughters and daughters-in-law are going to be making very uh, important decisions and could we potentially help them with that? Um, and then what does that mean for their health, right? Like. I mean, if you've ever cared for a, a parent or a grandparent who's going through any sort of health issue, there's a lot of 
pressure um, that can lead to mental health, anxiety issues. You know, how do you support people? So it's it's all really interesting when you start to like think about. Um, you know, our customers are put in this position of being a decision maker. That's great. Like from a business perspective, great. We want to serve them really well. That's a good position to be as a business. But what does that mean for them? How can we help them with that? That's those are the sorts of questions we're trying to ask. Interesting. Okay. Well, Sean, I, I don't want to uh, to keep you too much longer. Right? But I, I really want to thank you for for joining us on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. Um, I'll, I'll put uh, some, some links to the business and, and any other links that you want me to include in the show notes. Um, I guess if someone wants to get uh, in touch with someone at Advantia or yourself, I guess what's the best path for that? Yeah, so, um, you know, easy enough to, to email us. Um, I'm, I'm fairly easy to get hold of. It's sean at advantiahealth.com. Um, my email gets kind of insane, so... <laughs> is, uh, if, they don't get a, if you don't get a response, don't be offended. Um, try to stay focused on what we're trying to do day to day. But um, that uh, often will direct that to the right person uh, if it's something that's of interest to us. And um, yeah, and, and I'd certainly appreciate it. You know, we, we obviously, we've got Advanti Health, but Pacify as well. And Pacify is growing its partnership base. And if there's interest there, um, you know, people can check out Pacify.com and uh, we're happy to talk to you know, potential partners or customers there. It's, it's really been um, amazing to watch that business grow, particularly over the last year. Perfect. Okay. And thank you so much for reaching out in the first place. Um, I know you're a healthcare entrepreneur too and have been having conversations with some of the team. And um, <laughs> if, you, if you ever want to chat about that on an individual level, happy to. Um, always exciting. To see. Like the more innovation we can get, the better. Yeah, no, that would be um, that'd be great to chat more with you on on that end as well. Yeah, the you know putting together this podcast is just it's it's been a fun way to um, you know learn about interesting companies and healthcare and entrepreneurs and kind of how innovation is uh, taking a hold of healthcare. So it's uh, it, it's great to be able to do both of those things. But yeah, look forward to, to chatting more on that front as well and. Uh, look forward to everyone getting to listen to this podcast, which will, will be shared on all our social channels as well as um, on my personal social channels as well. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, great. Well, thank you again. Have, yeah. a, have a great weekend. You as well. Thanks, Sean. Okay. Our sponsor for this podcast is our parent company, Block Health. They make life easier for healthcare professionals and organizations. The platform will save healthcare professionals and organizations time, money, and provide less headaches during the onboarding process. For more information, please go to www.blochealth.com. That's blockhealth.com. And follow Block Health on social media at blochealth health at blockhealth. Thanks. Thank you to everyone who joined us for another episode of Slice of Healthcare. Be sure to check out our website, www.sliceofhealthcare.com, and follow us on social media at Slice of Healthcare.
on pretty much every channel except Twitter, which is at Slice of HC. If you're interested in being a guest or you know someone that would be a great guest, be sure to send us a direct message on Instagram or fill out our contact form on our website. We look forward to bringing you continue uh, to continuing to bring you great content moving forward, and can't wait for what the future holds. Thank you.